Um, this is the first time in, uh, I don't know, I think the last time I spoke was last year. It's more than six months ago. And when Malcolm asked me, I had to remind myself where I finished off. <laughs> what did I do last time? And I want to bring us, uh, uh, the rest of us as well, maybe some of you have a better memory than I do, but I certainly couldn't remember what did I speak about last time. And I was busy with the first book of the first letter of John, First John. And today we're going to be in First John uh, chapter 2, verse 12 to 14. Uh, but before we read that, but if you want to find that in your Bibles in the meantime, First uh, John is that small little letter right towards the back of the Bible before Revelation. Um, before Elisal reads the, the scripture for us, uh, I'll give a quick review uh, of everything that was covered up to this point in, um, in, in the first letter of John. John starts off, and it's kind of a summary of the, the lessons that I did last year from first John. He starts off in uh, chapter one, verse one to four, uh, writing about the purpose of why he's writing this letter. And he says it's about forging fellowship with God and one another so that we may have joy. Uh, and then he goes on to say, but this fellowship is really about, it's based on walking in the light together. And uh, I don't know if you, some of you may remember, I talked about that, that the triangle uh, analogy where if, if people are at the corners of the triangle and God is in the center, if we move closer to God, then uh, it also means that we move closer to each other. And so our fellowship with God and our fellowship with each other are are very closely connected. Um, then uh, in uh, verse 8 to 10 of chapter 1, John encourages us that uh, if we walk in the light, we also need to bring our sins into the light. Um, and then, of course, he's also very graceful and, uh, and full of mercy. And he says in chapter 2, the first two verses, that he says, yes, we aim not to sin, but... We know that we sometimes will stumble and therefore we live in confidence that we have an advocate in Jesus for the times when we do fall. And then uh, chapter 2, verse 3 to 6, uh, he explained a bit more and delved into what, what it really means to live in the light. And he says it is to know God and to know Jesus and to live like Jesus and to love like Jesus. And I talked about how keeping the commandments and obedience is a pathway to knowing God. Uh, it's an expression of loving God. And it's also confirmation that we, that we know God. And then in verse 7 to 11 of chapter 2, John throws down the gauntlet. And uh, that's the last, uh, the last time I spoke was about getting off the fence where John says, given that we understand what living in the light is and walking in the light and uh, living and loving like Jesus, he says, get off the fence. You cannot say you love God and not love your fellow Christians. Um, and and there's, no, there's no gray area. Uh, he said, you know, if you, if you say you love God, and you, but you don't love your brother and sister in the church, then you actually don't love God and, and, and you're still in the darkness and not in the light. That's kind of the, 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 the challenge that, uh, that he finishes off that whole section from chapter one up to chapter two. Um, and then, uh, so we pick it up today in 1 John 2, verse 12 to 14, which I'm going to ask uh, Liesl to read for us. Um, 
where, where John kind of transitions, summarizes why he wrote this first bit up to this point. And that's what we're going to talk about today. First John chapter 2, verse 12 to 14. And um, so I'll get in if you have a slide for it. Uh, you can also put that up if, uh, if you have a slide for the scripture. Okay, let's read. First John 2, verse 12 to 14. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you, dear children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Thank you, Liesl. Um, have you ever been in a meeting where you thought, could I say, may I be excused because there's nothing here for me, or what am I actually doing here because is this relevant to me? Uh, I've been in many meetings like that, and uh, and as a as a coach in my daytime job, I coach people. I say, if you know, if if you're not getting value out of a meeting and you're not adding value out of a meeting, then feel free to excuse yourself. Um, and when we read the Bible and we read scriptures, you know, it's good to ask ourselves, uh, how does this apply to us? How does this apply to me? What is here there for me? And you may rightfully think, hang on. John writes here to children, fathers, and young men. And uh, I'm so, sorry for the sisters, but uh, I completely understand if the women think, hang on, I'm not a child, I'm not a father, I'm not a young man. Um, can I be excused, please? Uh, there's nothing here today for me. Um, mm. But hang on, before you leave, please. Uh, we're going we're gonna to dig into this a bit more. This, this usage of John addressing children, fathers, and young men uh, could be seen as literal, in which case, clearly, there's a large part of our audience today which are not addressed and may feel like, oh, there's nothing here for me. But it could also be seen as, as metaphorical. And uh, these terms, ch children, fathers, young men, are actually very often used metaphorically uh, in the original Greek, not only inside the Bible, but also in the common Greek language in the writings of Homer and uh, the contemporaries of, of, uh, of that time uh, use these words more in a figurative and, and a descriptive and a metaphorical sense. And we can probably go into long debates. And if you go and read the commentaries, there's lots about uh, is it literal? Is it figurative? Is, is it metaphorical? Uh, and often we don't have to take an approach of it's either or. It's either the one or the other. But um, it can be both and. So for today, Without going into any debates, I just want to look at the metaphorical use of these terms, the, these terms, the figurative use, um, which is very inclusive, actually. This, this message here is really a message about stages of spiritual growth. Just like as humans, you know, we get born uh, and we go from baby to becoming a little child and then an older child. And then as we mature, we, we, we become young adults and then uh, more mature adults. And then eventually we become the seniors and the elders. Um, that, that's kind of the, the cycle of life, the, the way life works. Um, and that is the image that John is using here in addressing 
kind of three phases of the Christian life, three phases of, of growing uh, as a Christian. He starts off with uh, talking to the children. And the start of the Christian life is being like a child. Uh, in Romans, it says we are born again. Uh, Jesus said in John 3, he told Nicodemus, you, know, you, you need to be, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you need to be born again. So it doesn't matter how old you are, whether you're in your, uh, what's it, early 20s or uh, late teens, can't remember exactly when Richard was baptized, or whether you were uh, like in the Northwest London, uh, we baptized um, Haywood and he was 78, I think, when we baptized him. Even though he was physically 78, spiritually, he was a, a newborn little baby. Um, and the children that's addressed here is actually in the neutral gender. It's not boy child or, or, or girl child. Uh, and both these instances in verse 12 and verse 14, twice the children are addressed. Um, it is like the, it is something that you find in the Dutch and Afrikaans language as well, but not really in English. So it's kind of hard to translate where you get child and the best way to translate it in English is my dear children or my dear child or, or, or little children. But it's not diminutive in a sense like being small. It is more like an, a, a term of endearment. And we often find that John writes this way. In, in his third letter, he also writes this. Uh, he uh, talks to the church as his dear children. Um, this concept of, of, of a small child is a little child, a, a little darling, uh, someone deeply loved and endeared. Um, figuratively, it's actually used in the New Testament, often used as by teachers addressing their disciples, like Peter and the, 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 the younger Christians that he's uh, teaching. Um, and it's often used as figuratively for an immature uh, Christian. And there's two things, two foundational things that he says for young Christians, for that childhood stage of Christian life. And he says two simple things. Hold on to this, two foundational things. He says in verse 12, he says, I write to you, dear children, that your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. And then in verse 14, he says, you know the Father. So in verse 12, your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Um, just earlier in the chapter in verse 1, he said, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. And if I think back when I was a young Christian, um, and also looking at young Christians that I, that I get to know, uh, that I help to become Christians, and, and I see when I get baptized, and that's helpful for all of us who are older in the faith to remember is that young Christians still mess up a lot. They need loads, overloads, bonuses of grace and forgiveness. Um, sometimes we scratch our heads and think like, oh my goodness, and we go like, what? Is this young one even really a disciple or a Christian? And we so easily forget how, how we were as young Christians. Um, I know as parents, and there are a few parents here who have, uh, who have some teenage kids, you sometimes may just shake your head and think like, these teenagers, what do they think? And we probably forget, maybe sometimes conveniently forget how we were as teenagers. Um, 
my dad is uh, sitting here next uh, next to us as well, and um, I won't ask him now because he may embarrass me if I ask him how was I as a teenager. But um, what is quite uh, touching and moved me actually is that uh, as we helping my dad to pack up the house, and as he's packing up for his move to the retirement village, he found some letters. Uh, my mum kept a whole box full of letters, and uh, some of those letters were letters that I wrote. And, uh, and, and my dad gave them to me in, uh, to read some of the letters that I wrote to my mum. One of them was when I was a teenager and I, I, I went to some camp somewhere and I wrote this letter to them. And I read this letter and I was like in, in this letter apologizing for my terrible behavior and our uh, disagreements. And I'm like, in, really, was I that kind of teenager? I can't remember that. It was actually kind of embarrassing. Um, but as young Christians, we are sometimes like that. We, and, and as older Christians, we forget how we were as young Christians. Uh, we forget the stupid things we did, the sins we still got involved in and fell back in. Um, there's some useful comments here. Uh, I assume that Becky is not typing it herself, but from the Makey. So I assume it's Danny who's typing that Becky was perfect. Uh, Aneta says, I was baptized at 27 and a half. Um, fairly young age as well. Who knows? I was about 27 as well, I think, when I was baptized. And Liesl as well. Yeah, yeah 27. Um, but uh, as, uh, as John reminds the little children that remember your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. If you mess up and you feel like, oh, I thought once I'm baptized and I'm a Christian, I will do much better and, you know, I'll be strong and I'll overcome and now oh, I messed up again. Don't forget that your sins have been forgiven and you have an advocate um, in Jesus. And then the second foundational thing that he, that he reminds young Christians of, the, the little children, he says that, remember that you know the Father. Now, there's an interesting point here. That Why does he specifically say you know the Father? Um, I'm speculating here, but I was thinking about it and think, well, it's probably two things. A, a child needs protection. A child needs that protective father hand, that, that, that strong figure. You know, every ch child thinks, you know, a lot of children, especially the boys, think their father is a superhero. And uh, you, can, uh, you can ask uh, Charles kids, uh, ask, ask little Zachy, you know, uh, from the time we lived there, you know, they think like I'm the super strong guy just because I put him on my back and I did some push-ups with uh, Zach on my back. And he's like, wow, he's such a strong guy. I'm like, you know, I'm actually pretty skinny and weak. But uh, um, but children need that to be reminded that there's someone strong in their lives and to protect them and that will be there for them and that will look out for them. So uh, for our young Christians, remember that. Remember that you have a strong father that is looking out for you and that is, that is like a superhero. Uh, in fact, he's better than any superhero. Um, I think that's one thing about reminding them that you know the father. But the other thing which I'm, I'll come back to when we look at the admonition to, admonishment to, to fathers is that knowing the father is not exactly the same as knowing Jesus. And it doesn't remind the children that they know Jesus because, to, as we saw in verse 4 to 6, to claim to know Jesus, you actually have to walk in his shoes for a while. And you may think you know him, but you don't really until you've lived a life for a while. So I think that's another uh, uh, reason why he, he tells children, remember, you know the Father. 
you know, one of the things um, I love and, and, you know, holidays this week I really enjoyed was uh, uh, doing some bird watching and uh, went to some new different areas where I haven't been before. And it's great. I, I spotted a whole list of all this holiday since we arrived in South Africa. I mean, is it like 10? Penny will appreciate and enjoy this for the rest of you. You may think like boring. Um, but uh, I, I, I ticked 10 new species on my bird list, like what's called lifers that I've never seen before in my life. And uh, that, that, that's exciting. Um, but the interesting thing, thing about birds, um, oh, before I carry on with that. Uh, so the word of says, Uncle Stephen is still the strongest in the world. <laughs> I'm often asked to carry them upstairs and then Ralph explains, only Uncle Stephen can carry two at a time. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, anyway, back to the birds. Uh, interesting thing about birds, and, and it's stronger in some species than in others, is that they, they imprint. When a young bird hatches, uh, a, a chicklet, for example, or a gosling, and especially like in, in, in ducks and geese, it's, it's, it's been well documented. Um, but when young birds hatch, they imprint on the first thing that they see. So when they try and, and reestablish uh, eagles, for example, in a new area, um, they have to be very careful in feeding the chicks that they, they actually the chicks don't see the humans and, and, and carers who do this actually would put on a suit that looks like an eagle so that the small animal won't imprint on a human, uh, which will put them at risk um, for their survival. So there's a story which I'm not sure if it's true, but it's a really nice parable, if you wish, about this, uh, this farmer who was a, he was a chicken farmer. And uh, he found this abandoned nest with, a, with an egg in it. And the nest looked like an eagle's nest, but he wasn't quite sure. So he thought he'll take this egg home and, uh, and he put it under, under the chickens, in the chicken coop. And uh, a little while later, this, uh, this egg actually hatched uh, by, the, by the chickens. And it turns out it was an eagle's, uh, an eagle's egg. But the first thing that this eagle saw, of course, were the chickens. And the eagle imprinted on the chickens and started growing up with the chickens. Uh, he learned to cluck like a chicken. Uh, the eagle walked around on the ground like the chickens um, and didn't fly. And he kind of probably thought he was a chicken. And this eagle, even some days when a big eagle would fly overhead, and all the chickens will run around and, and shout alarm calls and then run back into the coop because they're afraid of the eagle. This eagle would also run back with the chickens into the coop, afraid, thinking like he's a chicken. And this eagle never actually, when he looked up to the sky, seeing the other eagle flying overhead, never came to the conclusion that, hang on, I'm not a chicken. I need to get out of here and go and fly up there with someone who's like me someone who's an eagle. And this eagle actually eventually died like a chicken in the chicken coop, um, spending his whole life living like a chicken. What's the point of this is, uh, the point is that when we you know, grow, we need to break free from our past and, and, and think bigger. And especially in our Christian lives, for young Christians, there's some foundational things, but, but we need to take that next step and move on and grow and mature. Um, Isaiah writes 
uh, in Isaiah 40, he says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Uh, for the young Christians, we'll say, you know what? You're not a chicken. You're an eagle. Spread your wings and fly. Um, maybe you're immature now as a young Christian, but don't stay among the immature. Uh, even in the, the, the letter to the Hebrews, the writer in, in Hebrews chapter 5, he rebukes the Christians for not maturing, for not moving on, for not growing up. He's like, in, why do you still need milk? You're not a baby anymore. You need solid food. And it's the same with young Christians, with the spiritual little children, that uh, you can only stay a child for so long, and then you need to start some adulting spiritually and start uh, you know, moving on and growing up and maturing. The second uh, group that's addressed here are the, are the young men, and let's include metaphorically young women here too. Um, literally in the Greek, it's a young man. It's, it's used in Greek writings for men between 24 and 40 years of age. So if you're under 40, you, you know, biblically you can still consider yourself young. Um, it's colloquially used also for a, for a young attendant or a servant or, or, or even a, a learner, a student. What's interesting, you know, the young men are called here in verse 13 and 14, that admonishment, it says, you have overcome the evil one. And then in verse 14, you are strong and the word of God lives in you. The theme here is one from transitioning from the innocence of a child to realizing that we are engaged in a spiritual battle, that there is, that, that, that Satan will come after us and he will try and tempt us. Um, he will try and, and, and rob, us, rob us of our salvation. He will try and, and pull us back into the things that we left behind. And the encouragement here for the young men is like, in, you've overcome the evil one, and, and, and you are strong, and, and the word of God lives in you. But that is not a guarantee. It is something that needs intent and, uh, and a decision to... Um, to enter that battle and to engage and to, to keep on maturing and, and to grow and to, to be in the fight and, and to get fit and stay fit um, spiritually. As some of you may have noticed, uh, I love rugby. And I love watching youth rugby as well. And as a referee, I also love refereeing youth rugby. But one of the most interesting things that I've noticed over the years um, you know, there's the, the Rugby World Cup every four years, which is for the elite top players. But there's also an under-20 under World Cup, which is, uh, um, I believe, every second year, or maybe even every year, I can't even remember now. But what's interesting, what I've noticed about the under-20 World Cup, and even uh, watching some university rugby here in, in, in South Africa, is how you see some players in their youth who look like the stars of the future. And they look so promising and they're, they're so talented and they go to this under 20 World Cup and you see them play you think like, wow, is this, when this guy develops, he's going to be the elite test player of the future. And we're going to see him in the next World Cup and the World Cup after that. And what's interesting is how many of those names from the under 20s just disappear and you never see them again. Um, Due to various reasons, some get injured to the extent that they have to stop playing. Uh, 
some some just don't develop and they can't keep up and they don't mature to the senior game and to the to the professional game they were excellent at schoolboy rugby very good at university level rugby getting to the national team under 20 and then after that they kind of just fade away and the admonishment of of john here is for for that middle stage of our spiritual lives is to uh is to engage in a spiritual battle. Like uh, Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter six, he says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand your ground. You know, that's a very intentional, deliberate decision to make, an action to take is to, de to decide to engage in that spiritual battle, to, uh, to be aware of it, to put on the armor of God, and to, to equip ourselves with the word of God. He says in verse 14, you are strong and the word of God lives in you. Now, the word of God in this chapter, Ephesians 6, is called the sword. Um, to go into battle, we have to take up the sword. We have to master using that sword. We have to have that mindset to engage and equip ourselves and train and get fit uh, spiritually um, if we want to keep on growing and maturing and developing from a youth to an elite uh, performer and someone who stays in for the long, long duration. Um, some of these players who've played three World Cups or four World Cups um, who are in their mid to late 30s now and are still performing at, at, at that level is because they have that mindset of, of, of perseverance and, and uh, keeping in the fight and engaging in the battle. I think the reality of it is, as in this middle part of our lives and of our spiritual lives, as we mature from childhood, unlike the innocence of a child that just needs lots of forgiveness and love and nurturing and protection from the father, um, we, we, we cannot only rely on God's grace. And, um, and that's kind of different from the very traditional Calvinistic theology, which, which is there's only God's grace and we can't do anything. Um, I don't see that in the Bible. Uh, we are called to, to take responsibility and that we cannot rely on the innocence of a child anymore. Um, we, we cannot only rely on God's grace. We have to engage in the battle. We have to battle with sin. And we have to overcome through repentance and concussions um, so that at, the, at some point we can look back and they are, they've receded far in the distance. You can barely notice them. Uh, as older and mature Christians, we need to build up a, like a chest of war stories, which is really helpful, you know, when, when we're teaching those who are becoming Christians or who are young Christians. Um, I won't repeat any of those stories, but it's, uh, it's, it, it was quite interesting uh, when uh, Danny and myself uh, and, and Charles studied the Bible with, with Richard um, to help him to become a Christian. And uh, when Danny started telling some of his stories from before he became a Christian and when he was a young Christian, and it's like, him, what, Danny, you did that as a Christian? Um, but but we, we build up this chest of war stories but we can confidently tell them because we've overcome those things of the past. And not because we boast about them, um, but because it's helpful for the younger ones 
who may feel overwhelmed and who may feel like, oh, will I ever overcome? It's helpful to see someone who's been in the battles and, and, and who's overcome, who's been victorious. Uh, it's encouraging, it's inspiring to see those uh, who have moved on and, and, and have matured. Um, so yes, as middle-aged Christians in that phase of life, uh, are there still some sins that you should have overcome by now that's still in the way? Uh, maybe it's time to put on the armor of God again and, and, and go back into battle and overcome so that, uh, so that we can mature and move on to that mature, final level of maturity, which is called fathers and metaphorically mothers too. So in verse 13 and 14, um, that admonishment is to fathers. Uh, and again, it's, it's metaphorical. It's, uh, in, in the Bible, the word father is used in many different ways, as, as an ancestor, as an elder, as a wise person, as a senior, someone who stands in a father's place, who, who looks after another in a paternal way, in a protective way, in a guiding way, um, without even being the father. So the, the word is used very broadly in the Bible. Um, and as mature Christians, that level of maturity is where we need to step into a different role. And this is very interesting. Fathers are admonished with the same statement, exactly the same statement, just repeated twice. In verse 13 and verse 14, he says, Fathers, you know him who is from the beginning. And in verse 14, same thing. Fathers, you know him who is from the beginning. Um, why, why repeat it twice? It, it reminded me of Jesus asking Peter three times if he loved him. It's not like Peter didn't hear him the first time because he responded and didn't hear him the second time because he responded. But it's a way of reinforcing that, you know, this is the most important thing. This is what really matters. And the difference here is what's interesting is children were reminded that you know the father. Fathers are reminded you know him who is from the beginning. Now, who is this who is from the beginning? Who could it be? It could be God, it could be Jesus, it could be both. I think the important thing here is that mature Christians need to know Jesus. And not just know about Jesus, which is often like a, a, a young Christian, a child, are barely getting to know Jesus. Um, but really, mature Christians need to intimately know Jesus. And John a bit earlier in the chapter, in verse 3 and verse 6, explains what this means. He says, now by this we know that we have come to know God if we keep his commandments. And then in verse 6, if we say we know God, we, we ought himself to walk, anyone who, who claims to know God ought himself to walk just as Jesus walked. We don't get to know Jesus by just meeting him for a day. We really get to know Jesus with time by practically living the Christian life over an extensive period of time, imitating Jesus, following in his footsteps through all its joys and challenges, through all its ups and downs, through all the victories and disappointments, uh, through the suffering, um, through the pain. Uh, that is how we really get to know Jesus. And that can only come with time and with practice. It doesn't happen after a day or a week of being a Christian. And I think that's why 
fathers or the more mature, the senior Christians are called to know him who is from the beginning. That is the most important thing. Two parts is because it really calls us to live the life where we've left behind the immaturity and the innocence of childhood. We've even left behind the, the regular habitual sins of our middle, mid, middle age, the ones that we've conquered and overcome, and we only tell stories about them now because they're way in the past now. But we really live the Christian life um, because that matures us and helps us to really know Christ. But also, that sets the example for people to see, for the young Christians, the young men and the little children, to see what it actually means to, to live in hope, to live with perseverance, to not give up, to go through the ups and the downs and the tough times and not lose your faith, and to be even strengthened in our faith in this journey. To summarize before we have a communion, um, we're all on this journey. Uh, I think the question to ask ourselves is where, where are you on this journey? Are you still a child? Are you a strong youngster or are you a mature senior? And I think two important things is, depending on where you are, let's live up to the basics and hold on to the things that we are admonished here by John. But the second thing is to keep on making progress. And if you're not mature yet, uh, keep on growing. And, and, and don't be, be a chicken that just grow up and live and die among the chickens thinking you're a chicken while you're actually an eagle. Um, let's have our hearts and minds set on continued growth and continued uh, maturity. As we, uh, as we have the communion, um, I just wanna, we can just reflect on verse 12, where the reminder for the little children is, remember that your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. And uh, as we take the bread and wine, um, let's reflect with gratitude on the forgiveness that we even needed this past week, or even as recent as yesterday, or even, maybe even as recent as this morning. And, uh, and thank God that our sins have been forgiven on account of the name of Jesus.